to see you all this morning. Today, uh, we are going to have a, something a little different. As we do the first Sunday of each new year, now we're going to have a little something called the State of the Church Address. And so typically, we're working through Scripture uh, verse by verse, line upon line. But what we do on this first Sunday of the year is we look back at uh, how we got here in the first place, the things that have been, uh, we look at the things uh, that are currently, and then the things that are to come, uh, Lord willing. And so as we begin this, uh, what I wanted to share with you is just how in the world we got here, who we affiliate ourselves with in the first place. Uh, we are a part of or affiliated with what's known as the Calvary Chapel movement. And it began in the mid-1960s with a gentleman named Chuck Smith. And Chuck was a, a pastor in denominational Christianity for years, and he fell out of favor with that particular denomination in large part because of the way that he taught uh, the Bible in a, in a verse-by-verse way that the Lord led him into. And what he saw is as he taught this way, uh, that real change began to happen in people. But it didn't line up with denominational politics. And so Chuck found himself basically after years, 17 years in ministry, looking at just getting out of things altogether until he got the phone call from a little church in Costa Mesa, California to come and be their pastor. And if you hear Pastor Chuck tell it, what he, he says in all honesty is while he was looking to take the church and see what God might do, he also knew they had really great surfing in this particular area. And so, you know, he liked to surf, and the practical leads way for the spiritual to happen. And so Chuck wound up in Costa Mesa, California, at the same time when all the hippies were in Southern California. And in this movement of hippies, what took place is there are these kids that are seeking, and what they were seeking after is uh, truth. And when they arrived in Costa Mesa, they found truth with a capital T, the one where all truth resides. And so this is really the beginning of what's called the Jesus movement. And if you want to see more on this, they, they do a really good job of addressing this particular time in history in the movie that just came out this past year, The Jesus Revolution. And so this really speaks to this entire movement that really began in Costa Mesa. Now, inside of this movement, what also took place is as the word went forth and these young men were hearing God's word, they were also called into ministry. And so there are all these church planters that grew out of the Calvary Chapel movement. Guys like Greg Laurie at Harvest Christian Fellowship and John Corson at Applegate Ministries and Mike McIntosh with Horizon Church and all these other guys. And in fact, the book uh, called The Harvest uh, documents several of their lives. And so if you're interested, I've got a copy of it in my office, and uh, I would encourage you to go on Amazon if you like to buy books and that kind of thing. Uh, but in this book, it details a lot of these men's lives. And so out of this uh, church, Horizon Christian Fellowship by Mike McIntosh, he had a young pastor on staff uh, named Ray Bentley. And Ray was eventually called out into ministry himself in San Diego, and he started a church called uh, Maranatha Chapel that really began as a small Bible study, but then uh, what seemed like just overnight, hundreds of people started together to hear Pastor Ray teach. He was truly dynamic. Now, Ray passed away a little over a year ago, but upon his passing, Maranatha Chapel in San Diego had upward to 7,000 members. So Ray was a dynamic speaker, very gifted, a man that God had used mightily. But he also had a young man that came on staff from the parkland or southeast Missouri, a young guy named Mike Harrison. And so uh, Mike, who would go on to become my pastor, ended up in San Diego through his wife, Lucinda. This was her uh, mom and dad's 
church. And so as Mike and Lucinda were married, uh, Lucinda's mother began to send cassette tapes back of Pastor Ray's teachings to her uh, young son-in-law. And her her son-in-law, Mike, grew up as a pastor's kid. And so the last thing he ever wanted to go on to become was a pastor himself. But as he received these cassette tapes, now kids, there's something called a cassette tape. This is before live streaming, before CDs, we had cassettes. But this is what Mike would get. And through of all things, she sent him the book of Daniel. I mean, one of the most complicated books to understand of Old Testament prophecy. But what happened is as Mike was listening to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching through the book of Daniel, uh, God changed his life, changed his heart completely. And what also transpired is they would take these tapes in the factory that he worked at at U.S. Tool in Farmington, Missouri, and pass the tapes around while guys were working in the factory. And what he found was it, it began to change other guys' lives. It was one guy that worked down the line from Mike that was known as a, as an adulterer. The guy stopped sleeping around on his wife and became faithful and like his life literally changed through just verse by verse teaching. And what God led him to was to this, that if I could do that with these men in this harvest book, I could do the same thing with you right here where you're from. And so the Lord called him to go out to Southern California, a kid from Southeast Missouri, to go to Bible college, and eventually he wound up on staff at Maranatha Chapel for years before eventually coming back to the parkland, back to Farmington, Missouri, to plant Parkland Chapel in their basement in 2005. Now, I give you all that background to say that at this point, our stories will begin to intersect. In... uh, 2001, my wife and I were married, and we moved uh, to Charleston, Illinois, and this is where we established uh, our life. And as we began to have a family, and then eventually a career happened, what also took place is, well, life happens, right? So we grew up with this mindset that if you work hard enough, if you put yourself into things, that you can eventually achieve the American dream. I mean, if you believe it, you can do it. You put yourself into it, and it'll happen. And so we went all into our careers. We even went all into church in this way. I mean, we both grew up in the church, and this is what you're supposed to do. And so in 2002, we're married, and we wind up at Salisbury, which was meeting over here in the high school at the time. And and we jumped right into kids' ministry and youth ministry and just started doing what you do. You work hard, you, 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 know, you plug yourself in, and this is what Christianity looks like. But as time went on, what happened is our family grew and also our careers uh, blossomed. And so for me in 2005, uh, I became vice president of this uh, construction company in Mattoon at the ripe age of 25 years old. And so my career was, was taking off and church became uh, less and less important in our lives. In 2009, our family uh, began with the birth of our first daughter, Cameron. And at that point in time, uh, church just completely fell off the radar altogether. And so uh, as my career advanced, so did opportunities uh, to make more, to do more. And what we found is we were truly blessed. And in fact, uh, by 2015, we were not attending church anywhere for years. But from the outside, it looked like we had it all going on. I was uh, an executive at Rural King. Uh, there's a picture of the house we lived in. I mean, we, we truly, to the eyes of everybody on the outside, this was the American dream. And the reality was, uh, on the inside, it was a nightmare. It wasn't a dream at all. Uh, Our marriage was 
uh, being pulled apart in all directions. I was never able to be home. And as the bills piled up, I had to work that much harder in order to provide to be able to keep things going. And I remember at one point in time, it was almost funny that uh, there was a lot across the street and a young family started to build this beautiful home across the street from us. And, and their last name was the Joneses. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We're literally keeping up with the Joneses at this point. Like, it was so deflating. Like, Lord, uh, how can this happen? But we, we'd walked away from church. We'd walked away from God. And we had plugged ourselves into what was supposed to be this fictitious American dream. And so at this point in time, August of 2015, I was completely worn out. And as I was building a new store for Rural King in, of all places, Farmington, Missouri, uh, I met up with a couple of guys, and they had this great idea that we could start a business together. And this was a chance for me to hit reset, to start over again, to get family time back, and and still continue my dreams of being successful, but at the same time be able to be home more. And we'd be able to just pack everything up, and we'd go plant ourselves in this spot, and it would be all great. Because at this point in time, uh, what I came to realize, and so did my wife, is in order to deal with uh, the shame and the regret and the pain of, of all of what I thought was going to be, I was essentially a functioning alcoholic. And so her real desire was, if we can get him away, maybe he can hit the reset and he can dial things back just a little bit. And so we arrive in Farmington in September of 2015. We start our new business on September the 1st. And on September the 2nd, in this beautiful little office complex that one of my partners owned, uh, the young lady that was the controller of the office, she came in to talk to me and she said, uh, I need your portion of the expenses for the month if you would go ahead and just sign this check. And I said, well, okay, what all are the expenses? That's a big check. And she said, well, it's, it's payroll is the biggest thing. I said, well, that's fascinating because... Um, payroll for my portion of the business isn't for another two weeks, and I'm the biggest one on the payroll, and I'm not getting a check. So what do you need money for again? And as I begin to ask her questions and press in, uh, the tears welled up in her eyes, and she said, oh, you don't know. Oh, we don't actually have any money. <laughs> this whole thing is a sham, you see. And so what I realized at that point in time is I had left my executive job, uh, moved my family three and a half hours away from everyone that we knew uh, to essentially become unemployed and in, part, in partners with a guy that didn't have any money. Uh, it was fantastic. So I had to go home and explain that to my wife. Now, at the same time, what was taking place is she was trying to find a sense of community. We knew nobody in this area, and so she was involved in a homeschool PE group that met at the Civic Center in Farmington. And she, I don't know if you know Angela at all, but she's kind of outgoing. Uh, people kind of like her a lot don't usually like me all that much. They tolerate me to, in order to talk to her. Um, so that's what was happening here. She, she interacts with these two ladies at the Civic Center, and she just asks them, you know, what do you ladies do? Where do you go to church? Just trying to find some way to connect. And they share with her that they uh, both attended this uh, church called Parkland Chapel. And so Angela came home and, uh, you know, days later after explaining what was happening on my side of things, and you can imagine the demons I was dealing with, they were only getting worse. Um, she asked me if we could go to church. Now, at this point in time, we hadn't been to church in uh, six or seven years. And I said, absolutely not. Am I interested? Like, I've got real problems. The last thing I need is some fictitious, you know, fantasy in order to deal with what is real life right now. And so I refused. And then uh, after uh, days and probably weeks after that, 
Uh, she can be a little relentless. In order to get her to stop asking me, I eventually agreed, yes, I will go. Uh, if you'll stop asking me, I will go. And so we wound up uh, loading the kids up in mid-October of 2015, and we went to this uh, little church. And when I pulled in, I was absolutely appalled. I mean, what I saw were these two puke green pole buildings that are on the right-hand side of the screen. The children's church was in a different building than the adult church. And I'm like, that's just lining us up to steal our kids. And I'm like, there's hardly any windows. Are you sure this isn't J-dubs? Is this Jehovah Witness? Like, what in the world did we end up in? This is some kind of cult. And so we end up making our way into the sanctuary. We kept our kids with us because you can't trust those people. And uh, really, they were protection for me more than anything. And so uh, as we sat there in this little sanctuary of about you know 40 or 50 people in their first service, um, the guy sat on a swivel stool, and he opened up Psalm 87, and he just taught it line by line, precept upon precept. And for me, who grew up in church my whole life, for the first time ever, I actually understood something from the Bible. I had never been taught anything. And it was like a man in the desert looking for a drink of water. For, the, for the, a guy who felt like I had no hope in anything, it felt like a little glimmer of hope. And so even though I didn't admit that I was moved by this, um, I said, hey, we, we can, I will agree to let us go back the next week. And uh, the guy taught Psalm 88 the next week. And we went back the next week, and he taught Psalm 89. And because I'm super perceptive, I asked my wife, I said, hey, can you ask the lady who invited us if they're in some kind of sermon series? And she laughed and said, yeah, you could say that. We teach through all the books of the Bible. So there's 150 Psalms. So uh, buckle in. You're going to be in this series for a while. Uh, We've got another year left of being in the Psalms. And sure enough, the guy taught verse by verse through all the rest of the Psalms, and literally God used the book of Psalms to change my life. In fact, one particular uh, Sunday, November, uh, middle of November of 2015, the one that I remember the most is uh, as, as the, the business side was really at its peak. You know, things were falling apart rapidly, uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with, the, with this partnership and what the dissolution was going to look like and who was going to get what and how much we were going to lose uh, we wound up in Psalm 94, and this is what Pastor Mike taught, uh, what he read in verse 12. He said, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. Verse 18 says, If, my, if I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. What Mike proceeded to give his application is just like with the nation of Israel, God used the Babylonians in order to discipline his children and take them out of the land. Uh, So too God in our lives often uses ungodly people in order to discipline his children. And for the first time in my life, I felt like God was speaking to me right there in that moment. And he said, this is your discipline. I have moved you so that you could receive discipline. The Lord also spoke to me and said, you've got an email in your inbox. If you will go home today and sign it, uh, trust me that I'm going to take care of you. And so what what hit me was, Mike continued to connect the dots, was this from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And for the first time I realized that God is my father, 
I am his son. Wait a minute, if I'm receiving discipline, I am, I am his son. And so I went home that day, uh, didn't even eat lunch. I said, Angie, I got to go downstairs to my office. I got something I need to do. I went downstairs, uh, printed off that email, which was the dissolution agreement uh, to dissolve the company, um, signed it before I could think about it, stuck it in the scanner, hit send on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, walked upstairs and told my wife, hey, guess what? I am officially unemployed. <laughs> there you go. And in all reality, uh, what we walked away from was a company, um, at least a five-figure sum that we lost on that day, um, but what we gained was freedom. Gained freedom. It was like the shackles had been taken off, and I was able to just go, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And the, one of the reasons I call my wife the blonde Holy Spirit is she looked at me and she said, well, I tell you what you're going to do. Uh, tomorrow you're going to get your butt downstairs and you're going to get to work. And I said, yes, that's what I'm going to do. Watch me go. And so the next day I went downstairs and we started a company. Ashley Construction was born in our basement that day. And we got to see God just piece by piece begin to make provision for us to be able to stay in this place. Now over the next several months, what transpired is God just slowly transforming things. Some things fell off quickly, other things fell off uh, slowly. And I remember one particular day uh, in March, I was confronted with my uh, alcoholism. And what the Lord told me while He'd taken away my need to drink every day is what He said is, um, the thing that you're not willing to run a sword through and kill completely, uh, just like with King Saul, stands a chance of coming back and taking you out. And so on that day, made the decision, you know what, I'm going to take care of this thing once and for all. Marched myself down into my office, which was also the bar. Not great if you got a drinking problem to make your office the bar. Uh, loaded everything up into uh, trash cans. Didn't even think about dumping it out first. Uh, loaded it all up into trash cans, rolled it out for the trash man, and then watched as the truck came up. And really should have thought about emptying this stuff out because the poor guy broke the handle off the trash can. It was so heavy. But anyway, he, he cursed a little bit. I probably deserved it. But nevertheless, um, God began to, to heal me from those things. And what Transpired then in the next month is in April 2016, I was headed to a job site in Cuba, Missouri. And as I was headed on this little Highway 8 with no cell phone service early in the morning, uh, the Lord spoke to me and He said, you're going to have to tell somebody this story. I'm like, oh, really? I don't, I don't want to tell anybody. And the Lord said, no, you're, you're going to have to tell and you're going to have to share this story. And so wouldn't you know it, just the next week uh, on a Sunday service afterwards, the little guy that uh, did the prayer meetings, he came up to me and he said, hey, my name's Jason. We don't really know each other yet, but the Lord spoke to me and he said, coming up in our uh, prayer meeting this coming Wednesday night, uh, he'd like you to, I'd like you to consider sharing your testimony. Uh, would you like to pray about that? I said, oh, I don't actually have to pray about it. Lord already told me. I already got the heads up, and so on May the 4th, 2016, I got to stand in front of a room full of people and share my story and just speak to them about what God had done in my life. And after that, it was like a weight lifted that night. I mean, on Wednesday night, it was a beautiful service, and it was just like God took these things away. I didn't, I didn't feel ashamed of it. It was His working in my life. And so the following day was May the 5th. It was our oldest daughter's birthday, and we were getting prepared to go to St. Louis. We didn't, still didn't know a lot of people in town, so we were going to take her out for 
uh, her birthday in the camper. And uh, so I was in there cleaning it up so we could make our way to Yogi Bear Park up by Six Flags and uh, was cleaning things. And at that point in time, it was just me in the camper and I was just reflecting about what all God had been up to in my life over these past several months. And I felt this presence inside the camper. And I don't know how to describe it other than I knew uh, it was holy. I knew He was holy. And it was the Holy Spirit. He was in there with me. And so I, I just got down on my knees and put my face down and my hands up. And I said, Lord, I know it's You. Whatever You call me to do, wherever You send me to go, I will do it. And what He whispered in that still small voice was, feed my sheep. And I cried and I said, yes, Lord, I will, I will feed your sheep. And he said it again, feed my sheep. And he repeated it five times, I think mostly because I'm hard-headed. He wanted to make sure that when it got hard, I would know that I was called into ministry because it always gets hard. And he instructed me to do this very thing, to feed his sheep. Now, as uh, he said it the fifth time, then the, the weight lifted I was able to stand back up again. And uh, the best way I've heard it described an experience with the Holy Spirit is it's like getting hit by a fruit truck. If you survive the impact, it's the sweetest experience you've ever had. And so that's how it felt. It was like, wow, I think I just, you know, God, the Holy Spirit was upon me. And it was, it was unbelievable. But then as I was able to stand, the Lord gave me a, a word as well. He told me, uh, two years, everything's going to change and be prepared to move. And so this is the word the Lord gave me. Now, as a kid who grew up Baptist, to have a Holy Spirit experience and then get a word of prophecy all in the same day, like this this is new territory we're operating in at this point. And so I made my way out of the camper, finished getting everything hooked up. I didn't say much to anybody until we started driving to St. Louis, and I looked over to Angela. She's like, are you okay? You know, it kind of looked like you've seen a ghost. Well, I did. Holy ghost right here. Um, I said, yeah, here's the thing. I think I just got called into ministry. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I could see that. I'm like, what? Nobody could see that. Like, I'm a foul mouth construction guy. Nobody saw me getting called into ministry. She's like, well, I, I, could. I could. I could see last night that God was up to something. And so, again, the blonde Holy Spirit spoke into my life. But I shared with her what God said. And uh, outside of her and then Pastor Mike, those are the only people uh, that I had told what had taken place. And so as I shared that uh, news and that word that I got with uh, Pastor Mike Harrison, he began to meet with me regularly. And as we uh, met, he began to talk through what it looks like in uh, ministry. And so it, as we arrived at the end of 2016, he asked me if I would be interested in being a part of the uh, teaching rotation on Wednesday nights beginning in January. And I'm, I said, yes, even though the reality was I hadn't even finished reading the book yet. And so I quickly scrambled to finish reading the book in December before uh, January rolled around and uh, got the opportunity in the first weekend of January 2017 to teach the Bible. And yes, that's me. I had more hair and uh, same bad message titles as the parable of the seed and the sower, to seed or not the seed. So they're not going to get any better. That's the reality. Um, but got the chance to teach. And for the first time, I remember feeling like I'm right where God called me to be. You know, that, that as nervous as I was and probably as awful as the message was, I'm sure it was a stinker, um, I, I knew that this is a spot that God had called me 
to be right there. And so, as we continued through things, and, and trying to make a long story very short, um, by the time May of 2018 rolled around, we'd been asked to pray about a couple kids that were in uh, our church that had come up for adoption. And so uh, Angela and I prayed, and uh, her request was, we just need to pray for them to find a family. I said, I will pray as long as you know we're not the family. I will pray for a family. And then I found out we were the family. And so that's kind of how God works sometimes. Uh, but I remember sitting in our kitchen uh, there on Wildwood Drive uh, while the DCFS lady was in our house, and she slid the paperwork over that uh, Will and Brooklyn were going to be moving in. And it was dated two years from the date that God gave me a word. And he said, two years, everything's going to change. And it was nothing like what I thought he was going to do with that word. And yet that's often what God does. He does things in ways that we don't see, that we can't fully understand until we get into that moment. It was like a, a flash hit me, like this is what the Lord had. And, and by the way, if you go from four kids to six, everything changes. Everything changes from the house you live in to the car you drive to the way people look at you at the Walmarts. They're like, I mean, they look at you like, don't you know how that happens? That's a common reaction we get. Yes, we understand probably more than you how this happens. Um, you know, or uh, you look like you have your hands full. That's a normal one we get a lot. But uh, God began to change everything. And it didn't mean that it was all easy. You know, the Lord made sure that he prepared us for these things. And so uh, that was him answering one of those. But there was still the other prophetic word, and that was uh, two years every, or, that be prepared to move. That was his second word he gave to me. Now, by October of 2018, uh, I was officially ordained as the assistant pastor at Parkland Chapel, and we saw tremendous growth happen there at the church. Uh, those green, ugly pole barns, we painted them beige. First of all, that's the first thing I did. We're painting these bad boys. And then we also added a building uh, in between to connect the buildings together and a children's church wing behind it. And so the church just began to grow exponentially. It was a cool time to be a part of and to see that. And the church to this day, by the way, if you get the chance to go to Southern Missouri, they've, they've added a new sanctuary on. Uh, you know, any given Sunday, they might have five to 600 people in this little church that when we showed up had 100. And so uh, pretty awesome to see what God has done through them, and we got to be a part of that. But by the time the end of 2018 rolled around, I, I was reflecting upon the year, you know, and it's December and it's Christmas time, and I decided to send one of those uh, Christmas text messages that you send. And uh, the person that the Lord laid on my heart was my former boss at Rule King, uh, the gentleman that owns uh, the business. Uh, his name's Alex Melvin. And so I sent Alex an end-of-the-year text and just said, hey, hope you and the wife and kids are doing well. Merry Christmas. And that was, you know, all the more that I put into it. And he responded. And he said, yeah, Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. If you got time after the first of the year, let's get together for lunch. And so we scheduled a meeting together in January to just have lunch. And what the Lord really impressed on my heart was I needed to share with Alex about salvation. I needed to talk to him, the, the salvation message, I needed to evangelize to him. And so uh, the, the days leading up to it, I began to fast and pray like, Lord, you know, give me a word, speak to me, how's this going to go? And all the way there, you know, it was the praising the Lord, my hands were in the air, one hand on the wheel, one hand in the air, you know, just praying like, Lord, what would you have this meeting to look like? And we sat down in a little restaurant in Mattoon. And uh, before I could say anything, he leans over the table and he says, hey man, I don't know how to, to say this exactly, but in March of 2018, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I was like, wow! But inside I was like, stink! That's what I was supposed to do! Like, 
I've been praying how I was going to give him a message, and he already did it. But I'm like, now what, Lord? Uh, but what transpired was we just got to have a relationship. Back and forth, we talked about what God was up to in each of our lives, and, and it was a, a cool time to be a part of. And and by the time May rolled around, he asked me to come to a meeting that he had uh, there at, at Rule King. And, and by the time the meeting had ended in May, it was at the end of the month, He everybody had you know left the boardroom, and it was just him and I together. And he said, hey, I want to tell you something. This morning, um, the Lord told me I needed to offer you a job. I said, well, that's wonderful. Did the Lord tell you what the job was? He's like, no, God didn't say what the job was. He just said I was supposed to offer you a job. I don't really have anything open, but I'm just doing what God said. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I have a business now. Things are going great. I don't need a job, but I will pray about it. You know, give him the Christian obligatory. I'll pray about that. And so uh, I called Angela on the way home, and I said, hey, here's what happened. Alex offered me a job, and she laughed, and I laughed. And But the next week, we were headed down to Florida, and I said, hey, would you pray with me about that? Like, we should be intentional. If God's up to something, we need to make sure that we're, we're actually praying. And as I asked her that, she looked at me and she said, no. I'm like, what? what? Like, if you get asked to pray about something, I think you have to. It's in the book. you got to pray. Like, you don't get to say no. She said, no, I don't want to move back to Charleston. Uh, and so I'm not going to pray with you. And sure enough, that lady slept the whole way to Florida. She never prayed with me one time. Now, I will say on the way home, she relented, and we did pray about it. And uh, through the course of the next several months, God revealed to us that that was very much his plan, was for us to move back. And funny enough, you know, when I told her about my call to ministry in, in 2016, and I said, look, I told the Lord, anywhere he calls us to go, we'll go. And we both laughed, and we said, well, we sure hope it's not Charleston, Illinois. <laughs> uh, that's how God works. But the thing was, I didn't, I didn't want to come back because I didn't want to talk to people that I knew and that had known me. It was much easier to be anonymous than it was to be under the cloak of, of anonymity than it was to confront people that have known you. And yet, when God called us to come back in 2019, there was no place we would rather come back to. This was the place and the thing the Lord put on our heart. And so we had this wonderful calling to come back to the area. Now, as the Lord has called us to come back, in September of 2019, I began to work uh, part-time for Rule King. And uh, as I was working part-time, closing down the business, we started the process that you would imagine if you're moving the kids back, what are you going to do? You're going to look for houses. And so we began to look for houses, like, Lord, where would you call us to move? Uh, where's the spot you want us to plant this church? You want us to start it in a basement somewhere? That's how these things start, right? And so we began to pray about it. And where the Lord led me was uh, Haggai, or Haggai, however you like to say it, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell on your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. And so what the Lord spoke to me through Haggai the prophet is, um, you've concerned yourselves with your house. 
I want you to first concern yourself with my house and trust me that I'll take care of yours. And so I told Angela, like, here's the thing. God said, find his house first and trust him. He's going to provide a house for us. And so we shifted our focus and instead went to praying about, Lord, where would you have this church to be? And part of our prayer was we really would like the church to be in a neighborhood if possible, be a, a community kind of a church. But then also if it could be you know, somewhat close to campus, that would be really awesome. And so this is our prayer. And then the Lord ends us right here uh, on Woodlawn Drive. And as soon as I pulled up, I knew this was the church that God was calling us to. It's been sitting empty for years. Uh, there were Zumba classes taking place, so not a lot of church activity. Uh, but God called us uh, to this place. And in December of 2019, uh, we bought the building that we're sitting in uh, this very day. And then uh, what happened is January the Lord didn't provide a house. And I moved our camper here to be alongside the church building. And I was now full-time at Real King. I'm living in the camper uh, next to a church. And this is like a Saturday Night Live Chris Farley skit at this point. I mean, it's like, you're going to be in a van down by the river. You're going to be in a church, in a camper down by a church. Like, oh, I'm, I'm the weirdest guy in town living in a camper next to a church. Um, and yet, uh, the Lord didn't provide the house that he said he was going to provide. And then February rolled around, he didn't provide a house. And March rolled around, and then he shut the whole world down. <laughs> like, God, you allowed the world to be shut down. Now we can't even go look at houses. We don't know what you're up to. You had us buy a building, and now it's a pandemic. Like, what are you up to, Lord? And so by the time April rolled around, we're in full-on panic mode. I mean, where is God? Maybe I heard God wrong. That's where I went to. Like maybe the Lord spoke, but I didn't hear it quite right. And so just like we thought we were going to maybe build a house on the lot we've owned for a decade, we'll just go start the process of building. In fact, I'll line it all up. We'll build the exact house we got here in Farmington so all our stuff fits. And I was getting ready to, to meet the contractor that next day. And sure enough, in my email at the very top, as I'm out here in the camper, in pops the Zillow like a Zillow from heaven, Zillow pops up there and it says, uh, there's a house with the number of bedrooms we needed and the number of bathrooms we needed and it's three minutes away. I'm like, well, there's a house I haven't seen before. Three minutes and then I click on it and it's a three minute walk. It's literally around the corner. I'm like, where is this house even at? And so I scheduled an appointment to look at the house uh, that night. I went and took Angela on FaceTime. She never even saw the house. And we began to fast and pray, like, is this the place you would have for us? It needed, you know, a fair amount of work, but it, it was in proximity. And so I asked our real estate agent, who was my dad at the time, uh, could you find out what the taxes are on the house? And so he called me back uh, that afternoon as Angela and I are fasting and praying. And he said, well, here's the thing. Um, there, there are no taxes on the house because the house is a parsonage. You see, uh, God already owned the house. This was his house, just like he said all along. The Baptist church had owned it for years. Their minister didn't want to live there, and so they just decided to put it up on the market. And so the Lord did exactly as he said in April of 2020. He provided uh, a house. And so God is good. And what I share with you in that is just as Pastor Chuck often would say, where God guides, God provides. We got to very much see like God's provision. Even when we started to lack faith, He was faithful in the middle of this thing.
And so we started the journey of what it would look like uh, for the first services. We'd planned a date out ahead of time, even prior to COVID of September 13th, 2020. Made sense with bringing the family back here and getting things set up. After Labor Day, we would meet. And so very much what uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse 9, which is this, that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's what we desire to do. Like, Lord, just direct our steps. But one little snag we had with our September date is that we didn't actually have a worship team. We had nobody to lead worship. And while I can belt out some classic rock tunes, at some point in time, y'all are going to get tired of hearing me uh, scream Led Zeppelin. And I don't know if there's that much Jesus in it either. And so lots of issues here with me leading worship. And so we just continued to pray, and we asked a couple here, and we asked a couple there, and every time it was like, no, sorry, no, sorry. And so now it's July of 2020, and we got nobody to lead worship. Like, Lord, you're going to have to do something here because this is looking really bad for September. And uh, about that time, my mom and dad were down at a little campground, And at this little campground, there was a young couple named Jake and Michaela Holt, who their whole world had been shook up too because of COVID. No festivals to play at and none of their normal gigs. So they're playing at a, at a campground of all places. And my mom gets their business card. Now, Jake and I both grew up in Casey, but I don't know if you uh, know this, but we're not the same age. I know we look like it and look, you don't have to laugh really. Uh, we're 18 years apart, it turns out. So didn't exactly grow up together. But I reached out to Jake. I knew knew of him and knew of his family. And so sent him an email, just like, Lord, maybe this is a shot in the dark. And, and sure enough, he emailed me back. We scheduled for him and Kayla to come over for dinner. And what the Lord really impressed on my heart was, uh, don't sell them on this thing. Because I'm a salesman. I can get into it. I mean, I can be talking about it. And this is the plan for you. Uh, but I, I intended not to sell them on it. I just gave them the straight facts and played it cool. And uh, they did ask at one point in time, we're having dinner, like, well, so how many openings do you have at church? Like, oh, well, we have the first two Sundays covered, uh, but from September 27th until eternity is pretty well open. That's what we have open right now. And uh, they laughed, and like, I'm not kidding. Um, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll pray about that, and we'll get back to you. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm going to hear from them or not, but uh, we'll trust the Lord in that. And that following Wednesday... Uh, I was headed back to work uh, in Mattoon, and I got a text from Jake. And he said, hey, Michaela and I have been praying about this, and uh, we're wondering uh, if we could be your full-time worship team. I'm like, oh, how quickly can I type yes while I drive? Yes, I broke the law, but Jesus understands. Um, but I, I mean, it was like, yes, please, thank you. So God had provided a, a worship team, and not just, I mean, truly, at this point, I was just praying for a couple that wasn't terrible. Like, I wasn't praying for Jake and Michaela. I didn't have enough faith to pray for that. I prayed for, Lord, just help them not be awful. And uh, and then God provided uh, fantastic. And so we're thankful uh, for him and his provision. So as we head towards uh, the date, we saw the first service happen. And what I wanted to share with you is now we are uh, three years and three months into this thing. Here's a little bit of why we are necessary. 
You ever wonder, like, why do we need another church in Charleston? Do we even need another church? Well, it's important that if we are necessary, it must be because we are distinct. It must be because there are things that make us different. If we're the same as every other church, we would be better off just going to the other church and joining in with them and their fellowship. And so a few things, these are just highlights on what makes us distinct as a gathering. Uh, The first thing to note is that we simply present God's Word simply. It's intentional, our verse-by-verse, simple way that we we give God's Word and then we let the Word actually do the work. The idea is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. That means that uh, you all are the saints and the ministry is the places he puts you. Your friends, your family, your co-workers. This is the ministry he has given you. It is my job to equip you for the work inside that ministry, however that works. We are also called to give the word out because the promise in Isaiah is the word will not return void. You see, I could come up with the greatest topical message you've ever heard, but if it doesn't include and is not empowered by the word, there's no promise that thing won't return void. But the reality is if I give a verse by verse teaching from God's word, Isaiah says it won't return void. It will accomplish His purposes. So even if I lay a big old stinker, and I'm going to lay some stinkers, it's still going to be God's Word that goes forth. What we also desire to do is present the whole counsel of God. Not just jump around scriptures that we like or our hobby horses, but from Genesis to Revelation. One of the reasons we're going to go to Genesis here next week is we want to give the whole counsel of God. In fact, what Paul says to the elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, is this, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Sermonettes end up making Christianettes. We don't want Christianettes. We want whole Christians that are equipped completely with the full counsel of God. And so what we see is we have this opportunity uniquely to present the whole counsel of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. Second thing that makes us distinct is our government style. We are not a congregationally led government. It's one that's called the Moses model, sometimes called pastor led, board assisted. And if you've ever been a part of a congregational government, other than the fact that I don't find it in scripture, uh, the other part I struggle with is if you've ever been to a business meeting, there is nothing that has less Jesus in it than a business meeting. I mean, they're awful. They're really painful. And so it allows us to not have to put you all through that pain. At any point in time, if you've got a financial question, you want to see the budget, you want to see the books, you just need to ask. We're open book and happy to share uh, as long as it doesn't compromise anybody and no scammers get your information. But outside of that, we're, we're open and, and willing to share. Um, but we, we, what we want to do is really let the Holy Spirit do the leading. Like at the end of the day, he's the one that really needs to lead. In fact, as Paul continues here in verse 28, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is Jesus' church. At any point in time, if this gets to not be Jesus' church, we should all go home. I'm going to roll this thing up and be done. This is His church. We're going to let Him do the directing. Holy Spirit, please lead us. And so that's the governmental style that we have. Now, currently our church board is made up of two gentlemen from Parkland Chapel, uh, Pastor Mike and Dave Williams. We will, in the next couple months, be transitioning to a local board. Now, the next piece 
that is distinctive is that we, we desire to trust God with our finances. And so uh, at no point in time do we want anyone to feel obligated to give. The reality is um, there's nothing that I'll say that is wrong with passing a plate. In fact, research shows uh, ties would be up 30 or 40% whenever the plate gets passed. But the truth of doing that is people feel obligated. They're not giving from a heart that just desires to give and love and worship Jesus. And, and I don't want that. It was awkward when I experienced it. I don't want to do that to you all. In fact, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, is that God loves a cheerful giver. And the word in the Greek for cheerful is hilarious. He wants you to be able to laugh. Like when you give, it should be funny. What I encourage you to be able to do is that when you do it online or in the box, you ought to be able to do the Ric Flair woo. I mean, if you ever done a woo, like a woo, like that, whenever, you can't do it and not smile. I dare you. Like you give a little woo, like sometimes I even do the walk. I'm like, mm, mm, woo. But I mean, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? That God gives to us and then he gives us the opportunity. It's all his in the first place to give back a portion of what he gives us in the first place. It's kind of hilarious. And it's also an act of worship. Please understand that about giving. I don't talk about it unless it comes up in Scripture, but it's important when we do that I make it clear this should be a form of worship. You're giving back to your king. You're, you're giving back to the, to the one who's provided for you. And so it's a beautiful thing. Now, all this to say, we are not going to come ask you for money. So you're never going to get an email or a text. So thank you, Lord, for making that point this week with the scammers. But, but you're never going to get hit up. We're not going to have building campaigns and thermometers. I've shared with you before, I never liked the thermometer anyway. I always liked the, the mountain climber guy from Price is Right. That, you know, the, yole, yole, yole. So we're not going to do it. But if we did, I'd do the yodeler guy because that's cooler. Um, but we're never going to do that. The reality is with our finances is Psalm chapter 50 verse 10 says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so the way we look at it is we'll pray about something and if the Lord wants us to do it, he can go sell a cow and provide any way he would like to because the earth and the fullness thereof is his. It's all at his disposal. And so that's how we'll handle our finances. Um, lastly, and again, these aren't all our distinctives, but just the 30,000 foot view. Um, we desire, and this is important, to have an unpretentious atmosphere. We want people to know that they're welcome here, to not feel like they have to be all that, not to have to dress all that, not to have to have all their stuff together. The reality is none of us have it all together. I mean, the truth is there's a handful of us. We fought on the way to church just to get here. We probably fought with the kids, fought with our spouse. I mean, it's a miracle we're even here. And so none of us actually have it all together. In fact, what Paul would say in uh, Philippians is that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That even for me, please understand, I'm working this salvation out with fear and trembling. And so as we're working this thing out together, the idea is, and one of the reasons why I sit on a swivel stool and teach, is I want this to be relatable and connectable. I want you to know that I'm on the same level. Yes, I'm on a platform, so you can see. If we could all be at the same level, I would do that. But the idea is this is, a, this is a, an understanding and a learning for both of us to work through. And it should be also vulnerable as well as straightforward. John 11 says Jesus even wept. And so if Jesus 
is able to, to weep and connect with people emotionally, I want to be able to do the same thing. I want to be uh, vulnerable and even uncomfortable if I need to be in the way uh, that we share. And we're going to work this thing out together without all the pretense. Uh, the writer Boyd Bailey would say this, that pretense is birthed out of pride, but unpretentious living is the fruit of humility. We want to be a group that is unpretentious, that people can come as they are, but not leave as they were. We don't want to welcome folks in and then uh, baptize their sin and tell them they're sanctified. We want them to address the issue. But here's the thing. When we teach verse by verse, guess what happens? The Word addresses it. Rarely do I have to go through and pick things out. God's Word will do it. And so if ever you're mad about the pastor coming up with a message, he directed that at me. No, you know who uh, the pastor directed it at? Me! I'm usually the one I'm thinking about whenever I'm writing this thing. I'm working it out of my own life. And so that's the spirit that is working out things. That's the spirit that's communicating things in your life and in mine. Now, those are the distinctives. What I wanted to also share is, as we talked about giving a minute ago, we want to lead by example when it comes to giving. And so as a church, just so you know, the first 10% of everything we take in, we turn right back around and we send out. We send it out to these ministries that are listed up here in 2024. And these are all ministries that somehow are connected to us as a church. Uh, we're going to get the website updated with these guys as well as the, the board out in the lobby. But we, we want to be intentional about giving to these ministries with the, the first fruits that we've been given. And so they include uh, Asia Center for Biblical Studies. This is a college that's in the Philippines that uh, Nick Thomason and my oldest daughter Cameron and I visited in November. They've also got an orphanage there on campus. And so we support them uh, monthly. We support Choices Pregnancy Center uh, that comes alongside uh, mothers, not only who are pregnant and looking for help, but even after they've given birth to a child. And so we're thankful to come alongside them. Uh, Standing Stone uh, that is here in town, that is a food bank as well as they give free items. And Miss Dawn Thompson's a part of our congregation. And so we're thankful to support them. Uh, Matthew 25, that's a homeless ministry here in town. There is a major homeless problem in our community, whether you want to believe it or not. It, it's running rampant. And so right here on 18th Street, uh, they've got a facility, and we pay for one of those rooms every single month. So somebody's got a place to stay every month. Uh, Bethlehem Christian Academy in Zambia, as well as Senegal, they provide a Christian education for students. Uh, Angela and I personally support six kids. we got six kids here. We support six kids over there, but we also support that school as a church. i got to go there in 2019, see the school, see the operation. They do a fantastic job. They're out of uh, southern Missouri, and they will be here at some point in time to share with you about uh, BCA. We support Fellowship of Christian Athletes on the Eastern Campus, uh, as well as my friend Daniel Messiah. That's his book, Trader, that he wrote. He's got a ministry called Open the Gates. Uh, it's all about uh, converting Muslims to Christianity. Daniel was born Muhammad Camel as a Muslim, and then he was miraculously converted to Christianity. Daniel's going to be here on February 9th, Friday night. Do not miss that. He's got a powerful testimony, and uh, it's awesome to listen to somebody that's that. He's like an, an Old Testament prophet. I mean, it's really, and he's got a great accent. And so if nothing else, come listen to Daniel talk. Um, but we support him every month, and uh, including uh, YWAM as well. Miss Karen Stewart, who's a missionary to the Philippines, she's a part of our congregation, so we support Karen monthly as well. So those are the ministries that we support in 2024. All right, looking back at 2023, we're almost there, I promise. 
uh, as we look back on the year that was, what we saw were uh, seven uh, lives that were baptized this past year. So uh, those that decided to show an, out, an inward, uh, outward sign of an inward change, there's the words I was looking for, uh, in baptism, we saw seven people baptized in 2023. Praise the Lord for that. No greater honor I have than getting to do that. So I'm, I'm thankful. If you're interested at all in baptism, I don't care if you've been baptized before. I got baptized twice. You're fine if you want to do it. But if you want to express yourself in that way to show your love for Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about doing that in 2024. Uh, we saw physical growth in our church uh, gathering, so we're thankful for the assembly that's here. Uh, building improvements, whether it's a lobby renovation or new paint out front or parking stalls that got added, the idea is we want to keep it simple. We don't want to overcomplicate this thing. We want to be good stewards, and we want to provide the easiest way to Jesus that we possibly can. And so we, we had a Good Friday celebration. We had uh, international welcome. We had uh, over 120 international kids out here on the lawn. Uh, we had almost 100 here uh, this past Friday night as well when we welcomed students back. And so that's a cool ministry that we get to be part of and get to be Jesus to those students. Um, October, we started two services. November, we fed the EIU men's basketball team for Thanksgiving. And so those kids didn't have a spot to go. We were able to, to be their family for Thanksgiving. That was awesome. And then Christmas Eve services. That was uh, really wonderful. We enjoyed uh, Jake and Michaela and hot chocolate and really cool battery-powered candles. So we had all that going on this past year. That leaves us with the final slide, and I promise I'm about done. 2024, what does this look like? I want to just share a few things uh, that are going to be going on in 2024. First of all, we're going to begin next week our journey through the book of Genesis. It's going to be uh, scary at times, and there's going to be lots for all of us to understand at different times going through uh, the Hebrew uh, portion of Scripture. And so we're thankful for this opportunity to do it. And uh, we're going to begin that next week in Genesis chapter 1. We also, uh, on February 7th, we're going to start a session of Wednesday night services. So 6.30 p.m., it's going to look a lot like this. We're going to worship. We're going to study through Scripture. 6.30, we're going to go from February 7th to March 20th. So we're going to keep it uh, tight. We're going to keep the time down to an hour. I promise not to go long like I'm doing now, but we will keep it because I know it's a school night. But um, we want to give you a little bit of breath of fresh air with some New Testament while going through a heavy Old Testament book. And so, uh, and I just love Wednesday nights. There's something special about Wednesday evenings here. Uh, so we'll start studying through Philippians on Wednesday nights here in just a few weeks. Uh, and then we've got service opportunities. Um, you know, if you have decided this is your home, and we don't ever want to put pressure on you to serve. Uh, much like when I talk about giving, we want it to be something that comes from the heart that you want to do, that you desire to do. And it's important to understand this, that we love you far more than we love anything you can do for us. If we got to pair every ministry back and just sit in here together, I would rather do that than burn somebody out. And so we're not going to come to you and beat you up about service, but there's always opportunities downstairs with the kids uh, on second service. There's always opportunities on technology. There's ushers and greeters. There's the worship team. If you want to see Jake and Michaela, if you feel like you're musically gifted and you want to be a part of this, um, we want you to be a part. And so we usually ask for you to be here six months before you decide. That's really a way to protect you from you. And so uh, there's a reason we give that window. We want to make sure you've got time to know that this is your church, 
that we are your family and we don't want to put any pressure on. But if you're in that spot and you want to serve, we want to welcome that opportunity. And then finally, lastly, I want to get to the verse of this year. So lots of times I pray for the Lord to just give a verse. And this is what he gave me for 2024. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who were who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In these verses, please understand that you are here for a reason that God chose you. It's not an accident that you're at Woodlawn Chapel this morning. This is not a chance, right? So so this is not this didn't happen by chance. God called you to be here and he has a plan for you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, his own special people. The old King James says, you're a peculiar people. And to the world outside, you are peculiar. I mean, you're a special peculiar people when they wonder what this hope is that you have inside that they do not understand. And the encouragement here is to go and proclaim his praises because you've been called out of the darkness and into his light. What a beautiful thing that God chose you to be the proclamation of this to the world. You are now a child of the light. You are not a people and now you are a people. You have a family and that you did not have mercy and yet you now have obtained mercy. And the word that the Lord really pressed into me this last week concerning this is the word testimony. I want to encourage you to write down, to think about, to record what is my testimony. Now, many of you might go, I don't know that I got a testimony. I would encourage you to just start writing. Write down what God has done in your life, what He is doing, and what you pray He will do. And in order to do that, here's your encouragement for 2024. Guys, you're going to love this. I want to ask you to journal. This is not a diary, because those are girly. This is a journal, way different. And so I want to encourage you to journal down what God is up to right now. Even if it's just a line daily to write it down, Lord, or a prayer. This is what you're up to. If you've got to write it in your phone, go ahead. This is mine from August of 2016 until May of 2017. You know, so I, I keep these in my office. I hope nobody ever reads them lots of times. Maybe I'll burn them someday. I don't know. But this is a story about what God has done in my life and in my journey. And for each of you, you have a journey. You have prayers that are answered. We just often don't write it down to turn back and reflect upon His goodness. But this is His story that He's writing in our lives and in our hearts. And so I want to encourage you this year to write those things down. Do it for you. Do it for your family. See what God might do with those things as you write that down in this next year. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for calling us, Lord, as a group of people who were not, and now we are, Lord. We pray that we would just be able to take this time and remember what it is you're up to in our lives, Lord. Thank you that we can call to remembrance your goodness. That we can call to remembrance as we You know, as we take the time to just spend a minute or two to write these things down, to be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord, even when we lack faith. So much of the story I got to share today was about the times I lacked faith. And yet you are faithful even in the midst of those situations. And so, Lord, you're doing the same thing with people who are gathered here today. 
So, Father, as we get ready to take communion and we get ready to remember you, Lord, it's only appropriate that we get the chance to remember you and to record what you're up to in our lives. Father, please prepare our hearts for communion. In Jesus' name, amen.